Grab your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter four. We've been talking about relationships this summer, how critical right relationships are, and Christians have an advantage. I know a lot of people come to the conclusion that Christians are relationally dysfunctional. Uh, that's not unique to Christians, that's a, I mean, that's a human problem. Uh, but Christians really, are, they have an advantage if they'll just take it uh, because of who we are and everything that we have in Christ. So get this down in the title uh, for tonight's study, Relationships in Christ Work Because of Who We Are in Christ. Our relationships in Christ work because of who we are in Christ. And I'd like for us just uh, uh, as quickly as we can, as we consider relationships, I want us to walk through Ephesians chapter four together. Uh, verse one starts, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. And uh, if you've been here any length of time, anytime you see the word therefore in your Bible, you want to know what? What it's there for, what, what, therefore, what's it there for? What, what's going on? Okay, well, this is what we're gonna get here in Ephesians chapter four, we get in light of chapters one through three. Okay, that's the, the, the context of Ephesians is what we have to consider when we consider the commands of Ephesians chapter four. And so know this, in chapters one through three, what you get is the doctrinal section of the book of Ephesians. These chapters help us to understand the nature of our salvation in Christ. That's your next blank. Ephesians one through three give you the lowdown on what happens when we get saved, okay? How it works, what that produces in our life. So for example, in chapter one, in chapter one, key phrase in chapter one is in Christ. And what we find out in Ephesians chapter one is that whenever you choose Jesus, God chooses you right back to all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, one of which is salvation, eternal life, okay? Uh, so chapter one gives you this key that God predecided you to all of these blessings. He made you part of his family because you're in Christ. Chapter two, you see everything that God saved you from. Ephesians chapter two tells us that we were by nature the children of wrath. Uh, we, we, we were born into a spiritual family and a, and a spiritual lifestyle that was earning us the wrath of God for eternity. But then we see in chapter two that he saved us by his grace through faith and he created us, right? He made us his workmanship. He created us unto good works. And then in, then in chapter two we find out who he made us, what he made us to be as the new man in Christ. We go out of Satan's family into God's family. We become part of the new man. We're, we're literally the habitation now of God's Holy Spirit himself. And then in chapter three, we find out now that we're saved in Christ, we're made ministers. And so that's a, you know, if we could just outline the book of Ephesians in a two-part outline, it would be this. Chapters one through three give the doctrinal foundation, but chapters four through six give practical application. Did you get that? That's really how you approach the book of Ephesians. Chapters one through three set you up. Here's what happened when you got saved. Now that you're saved, now how shall we live, right? How do we live saved? What's the practical application of our salvation? And that's what starts here in chapter four. We see how we're to live our life in Christ with one another. In Christ, what does that mean now in terms of our relationships? How do we treat each other? How does this work? How do we do it? And so get this down in your notes. You wanna know how it works, how we live out our salvation, how a life in Christ works? Well, 
here's a, here's a, here, here's a big relational key. You gotta recognize, right out of the chute, you gotta recognize what we have in the Lord. We have one Lord, we have one faith. That makes us different than other sets of people groups, other people subsets, because we have, a, uh, we have an incredibly massive, incredibly compelling common denominator. We are one in this one God, this one Lord, this one faith. So the question on the floor tonight will be this, can you, can you live out what is true of you? What's true of you, can it be known of you? Can it be shown in and through you? Can you live out this life of Christ that you have in you and with you? In other words, is Jesus worth living for? Paul thought so, Paul thought, Paul thought Jesus was worth living for. He thought so to the point that, that he is, he describes himself as the prisoner of the Lord, the prisoner of the Lord. So Ephesians chapter four, verse one starts this way. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. I'm in chains, but Jesus is the reason. <laughs> I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now remember, the gospel is what takes us all, every race, every tribe, every nation, every people group, every conceivable demographic, it takes all of us and makes us one in Christ. So I don't celebrate who I am as a son of Mike Miles. Uh, I'm actually, you know, if you want me to brag about my nationality, I'm, 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 a, I'm a typical American. I'm a Heinz 57 mutt, okay? Uh, if God made it on this planet, I'm part of it. Okay, I've got everything in my, in my back line. But for me to sit here and, and just brag about who I am as a son of Mike Miles would be silly. I didn't pick that, I didn't choose that. Nobody goes, nobody before they're born on earth signs up in heaven for their nationality, their race, their color, what, what religious background they're born into. These are all the result of our forebearers, our forebearers making the decisions that they made and now boom, here you are. <laughs> you are who you are, you were raised the way that you were raised. You didn't pick any of that, but oh man, one day Jesus found us and he changed the absolute everything of our life, the course, the trajectory, the implications of what's gonna come out of our life, right? The end result, all of this changes overnight because of who we are in Christ. Jesus found me and that changed everything. Now it's not who I am as a son of Mike Miles, not who I am as a, as a child of flesh, it's all about who I am as a child of the living God. And guess what? God's my father, God your father. It doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your race, red, brown, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in his sight. The only thing that matters is the new man. This is why the Bible says we know no man after the flesh. So I don't relate to Danny, first and foremost, as an Indian from India. That's not who he is to me. I don't relate to Sean, first and foremost, as a black man from Kansas City. That's not who he is to me. These are my brothers, right? Well, why are you looking at me funny, Eric? What's going on? You over there with a weird look on your face. Where is he going? Is it real or not? Is the Bible real or not? Is Sean first and foremost black to me? Am I first and foremost white to you? That's not who I am. I am a child of the living God. And if you are too, that makes us brothers and sisters. 
And that's all that matters. We know no man after the flesh. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, we're all precious in his sight. So forget who we are in Christ. I mean, did you, did you I mean, check out Ephesians chapter two. But now in Christ, Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, of two groups, of two peoples, Jew and Gentile, one new man so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Man, if God can take a Jew and a Gentile and make them one new man in Christ, he can take the races of the world, the nation groups, the people groups of the world, and make us one family in Christ. I'll tell you why Eric was giving me a funny look. He's like, Miles, this is 2022, and these are touchy times. Don't screw this up. That's what that look was. Pray for me, brother. This is critical. Either the Bible's true or it's not. Either this is what the scripture teaches or we're just playing at it. Everything that's wrong with America, everything that's wrong with, with cultural Marxism, Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to all of that conflict. Who are we in Christ? Man, we're, we're one. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, you that you, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The gospel takes us all and makes us one in Christ. Now, not just that, okay? It's not just, salvation doesn't just give us new life in Christ, but it also gives us a new purpose. We now have a new reason for living. We have a new mission. In Ephesians chapter three, Paul is talking about what's been revealed to us by the holy apostles and the prophets. Here it is, verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. I mean, before they were outside the camp, man. There was no access for the, I mean, these are dogs, Gentile dogs. They don't have a place in God's family, but now in Christ, they're accepted in the beloved. I mean, now the Gentiles are made partakers of God's promise in Christ by the gospel. The gospel is the answer to the greatest divisions that the planet can create. Verse seven says, whereof I was made a minister. This is, my now, this is my purpose in life, showing the nations of the world how they can have a relationship with Christ. In chapter, uh, in chapter three, verse seven, we see that in Christ now we're made ministers of the gospel. It's the gospel of Christ that makes me a minister of Christ, Ephesians 3, 7. Okay, so what's our mission? It's telling the nations that with Christ they can have a plan, they can have a place in God's plan, they can, they can have a part in God's purpose. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 calls us ambassadors for Christ. We're ministers of Christ, we're ambassadors for Christ. And what's our, what's our job as ambassadors? To tell the nations to be reconciled to God. So here's the right view, okay, from Ephesians chapter four and verse one. We as saved individuals, as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're in the ministry of reconciliation. We're in that by virtue of the fact that we've partook in it, okay? We have been reconciled to God. Our sin used to separate us from God and put us in a place where we were gonna abide the wrath of God for eternity. God wasn't willing that we would perish. Christ, the ultimate reconciler, 
takes on this ministry of reconciliation and, and he doesn't come to condemn us because we were already condemned. He came that we might partake of salvation and it's gonna cost him everything. He gives his life in order for us to take it up. He has to lay down his life at Calvary in order for us to enter into this finished work of Christ and be reconciled back to God through his shed blood over our sin at Calvary. Okay, that, that was the ministry of reconciliation that benefited us. We, be, we partook of that ministry of reconciliation and by partaking in it, we were placed in it. So now we're to walk like him. Well, how does Christ walk? We're to walk like him, sacrificing self, that's your next blank, to see men reconciled back into right relationship with God. Christ laid down his life to make a way for us to have a life with God. So what, if we're gonna, if we're gonna be ministers of reconciliation, what's that gonna take? Well, that's gonna take, like Christ, a lot of death to self. We're gonna have to lay down our life in order for people to partake of the life of God. So God reconciles all peoples to himself through Christ's sacrifice, and he makes us one in Christ. Now the Bible says that we can live that out in our day by day, right? In our day to day life, we can live out that oneness in Christ. And this is what happens, this actually happens in the church. You will have people who are all about the ministry of reconciliation. They will share the gospel with people. Uh, they'll do cold call evangelism. They'll do, they'll do confrontational evangelism. They'll, they'll, they'll leave tracks everywhere. Uh, they're happy to follow up with people and talk to them about their need for Christ. But then they've got other brothers and sisters in their life that they won't talk to because they have some issue, right? There's some, there's some, um, um, there's some hardness of heart or there's some, there's some hurt in their life because this brother or this sister didn't meet their expectations in some way. So I won't, I won't talk to James Fife because he said something, he, you know, I mean, yeah, he was joking, but it really hurt. And he really hurt my feelings. He was really a jerk to me and he hasn't apologized. Now, I'll tell this lost person who is at enmity with God, right? And I'll spend all the time in the world, I actually spend my time and my money to make sure that I'm building a relationship with them so that I can give them the gospel, but I won't talk to James because James hurt my feelings. What in the world? This happens all the time. You've got people who will sacrifice to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation to win the lost, but they'll throw their brother or sister in Christ away. Man, God forbid. So how can we keep from doing that? How can we keep from getting that messed up, that warped? I'm serving Jesus, but I hate God's people. I mean, how do we keep from ending up in that place? Right, how do we do that? Well, okay. This is, get this down in your notes, this is the key. We're gonna have to have the right view of one another. And verse two tells us how we have to view one another. Go ahead and get view down in your notes and then take a view of the person sitting next to you. Just look at them, see who they are. Now look, look the other direction, get a view there. Maybe look behind you, see who's sitting behind you. Maybe look in front. Just, just check your perimeter and look. Okay. These are the people that you have in your life, right? You know that because they're right there. These are the people that God's placed in your life, and so these are the people that you actually have to work with in the mission that God put you in. Okay, what does that mean? Well, 
You're gonna have to accept them. The good, the bad, the ugly. The good features, the good skills, the good attributes, the warts, the stinky parts. I mean, you're gonna have to accept them. Okay, verse two tells you, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. So here's what we're gonna have to do for one another. If you're gonna actually be fruitful and productive with the people that God's placed in your life, what that, right now it's easy because you're sitting in a service together, the expectations are low, uh, their ability to disappoint you. Like if you ask, if you lean over, like what was the last blank? They'll tell you, like they're there for you, okay? <laughs> Like it's, it's easy right now, but in the thick of it when, you're in the, it, when you're actually in the middle of the mission and, and man, the fur's flying and I mean, it's the blood, the guts, the snot and the gore. I mean, sometimes, man, we step on each other. And so what, what are we going to have to do for one another if we're gonna continue together and be fruitful? Number one, we're gonna have to get low. We're gonna have to get low. Right, with all lowliness. Philippians 2, 3 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Christ did that for us, that's why he went to Calvary. Are you better than Jesus? Yes or no, are you better than Jesus? No, is God a liar? He esteemed you better than himself, that's why he went to Calvary. Just read Ephesians chapter two. It's right there, you can't miss it. We're to esteem one another better than ourselves. And then the example is Christ esteeming us worth laying his life down for. Well, you know, I'll lay my life down for you right up until the point where you aggravate me, disappoint me, hurt me, <laughs> let me down in some way, and then you must die. I don't want you to be part of my life anymore. This is not the life, this is not the mind of Christ. So what's that gonna take? You know, when we're working hospitality and connections and people are coming up to the door, it's okay to open the door for them, right, when they come out. I didn't slap my Bible because I was mad at it. I was going for a gnat. <laughs> Beelzebub had a minion on my Bible and I can't stand. <laughs> so when that, when that person, I'm just talking to the hospitality team right now, okay? We don't have a big modern fancy building with the foyer and the bug zappers and the, and the, and the preconditioned air, okay? What we have are doors right into where we're living. And so when you see somebody walking down the street, down the block, and you know they're coming to church or you want them to come to church, that's not the time to open the door. Come on in, it's air conditioned in here. No, it's not, you've been holding the door open for the last 10 minutes, okay? <laughs> Wait till they get right up to the door. So glad you're here, oh, you can open the door for them. But we don't wanna leave the doors hanging open. That's my public service announcement for everybody. You're welcome, okay. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. Okay, now how are we gonna do this? Well, okay, the next step in the verse gives, I mean, just gives the insight that we need. You gotta be meek. You gotta be meek. Yes, you are who you are. You're the way God made you. But meekness in your Bible is power under control. Okay, you have the ability to react the way that you can. Yes, you're a child of God. Yes, you have victory in Christ. Yes, you're more than a conqueror in Christ. Yes, you deserve to be treated right. Yes, absolutely, you deserve to have your brothers lay down their life loving, right, and ministering to you. But now get over yourself and lay down your life serving them. So that will then lead you to suffer long and forbear one another in love. To forbear means to put up with. You're gonna, like, man, everybody, okay, when you get, okay, when you get married, Nathan. 
when you get married. Um, let, me, let, me, let me phrase this the right way. Your fiance is a beautiful young woman. Uh, she's, she's, she's beautiful, she's got the character of Christ, you see the love of Christ, the joy of Christ on her face. Um, you're gonna marry this woman who is perfect in every way, okay? And now I can say this because this is true of everybody in this room. When people get married, when you read these stories uh, in, in a, like a fairy tale format, uh, typically the way that the, the story will end is they got married and they, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> and you'll know it's gonna take work because the very first day of your wedding, right, or of your, of your life together as a married couple, you're gonna wake up that next morning and her breath is gonna smell awful. <laughs> like in the movies, you see two people after they spend the night together, the first thing they do is like go for each other's tonsils. That doesn't happen. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind ever does that. You have to make the trip to the bathroom first and brush your teeth because everybody's breath smells like poo first thing in the morning. Everybody knows this, you know that. I mean, if you don't know that, you're the most deluded person in the world. You have poo breath in the morning, okay, so. You know what you're gonna do though? That first morning you wake up with your new bride, you know what you're gonna do? She's gonna be like, good morning, darling. I'm so happy and you're gonna be like, so help me God by his grace, Pastor Miles is a liar. There is nothing wrong with this woman. Her breath smells like cake and sunshine. You're gonna put up with it. Why, because she's worth it, right? The people that God put in your life, they're worth it. You're gonna, you're gonna suffer, so you gotta look at the person next to you. Because at some point, soon and very soon, that will be your cross to bear. You will, you will learn patience through the relationship that you have with the person sitting next to you. Okay, Did you, you, some of you won't even look at the person anymore, because you know I'm, it's true. Okay, look at me, look at me now, look at me, look at me, look at me. This is what you have to put up with. I'm your cross to bear, right? There it is, your cross to bear. This is who God gave you to put up with. Praise the Lord, amen? Come on, amen. I mean, that's who God gave you to put up with. Wives, look at your husbands, praise the Lord. Husbands, look at your wives, praise the Lord. I mean, that's who God gave you to lay down your life loving. Colossians chapter three, verse 13 says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Why? Well, because you got another in your life, so you're gonna have to do it. <laughs> forgiving one, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So you're gonna have to get low, you're gonna have to be meek, you're gonna have to suffer long and forbear one another in love. Why? Why would we do that? Why do we have to put up with the people that God puts in our life? because we need each other. We actually have to have one another, and that's what we're gonna see when we get on down into Ephesians chapter four. The people that God puts in our lives are actually one of the absolute keys to coming into conformity to the image of Christ. We need these people in our lives speaking into our life. You have to, you'll never mature in Christ without the people of Christ in your life. It's never gonna happen. The person who cuts themselves off from the body of Christ, they stunt themselves, they retard their growth, they absolutely cut their spiritual growth off at the knees. We have to have each other. 
Uh, let me give you some homework. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. You have to have the people that God's placed in your life. We'll never see all that God has for us without each other. Why? Because that's what God chooses to use to work in our lives. The one another's, right? God loves to see us minister to one another, so he sets it up this way. So again, the key, that's gonna require self-sacrifice because, man, some people, like, when they come, man, I mean, they didn't brush their teeth, and they're at church. They've been up all day, and they still smell like they've got morning breath. And now they're a close talker. They don't understand all the body language. They're like, they're, you know, they wanna, they wanna talk to you right here. They're right there in your face telling you everything, and they don't get this, like, this person socially has no capacity to pick up on any, any cues, any clues. I mean, you're like doing this thing, you're half stepping back, just trying to put an arm's length between you and this other person, and you're trying to act interested in what they're saying, but you can't because it poo all up in your nose, and you can't hear what they're saying because it's just the, the poo breath is all up, in your, and so you're backing up because you're trying to get enough distance so you can appreciate them, and here they come. And then what happened next was all it, man, okay. All of my kids, not as much as Cheryl, but every one of my children have pooped on me, <laughs> literally. All my kids have pooped, like literally crapped on me. Can I say crap? I grew up saying it, apparently I can. <laughs> All of my children have literally physically defecated on me. <laughs> I didn't give up on the relationship, I didn't throw them away. As a matter of fact, I didn't really even think about it. I mean, it's just, you can clean up poo, bro. I mean, you can clean them up. It's a lot easier to clean up a mess than to get another kid. Yeah, they're a lot of work, man. <laughs> and everybody makes that joke, like, this is such a bad mess, it'd be easier to get another kid. No, it's not. Nine months of labor, your wife's crazy for, like, oh, did I say that? That didn't sound right. Some wives are crazy for, like, a full four or five of those months, not mine. But it happens, you know, it's a lot of work. And then, like, the delivery itself, I mean, there's just... You don't, you don't give up on that relationship because that, you'd die for that relationship. I mean, God help anybody that would mess with your kid, right? I mean, you, you, would, you would die for them, you'd kill for them. <laughs> like, this is a big deal. You don't throw that relationship away. It's, yeah, it's a mess, you just deal with it and you press in, right? You invest more, you invest all the more because this person is worth it. These are the people that God's placed in your life. Lowliness, meekness, a willingness to suffer long and put up with one another. See, verse three says, endeavoring. Endeavoring means quick, diligent labor. I mean, if we're gonna strive for anything, it's this. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So point number three, we're gonna have to fight for our unity. This is ministry principle number eight. We have nine, it's not an exhaustive list of ministry principles, but we have nine major ministry principles that we talk about a lot here at MBT because that helps every member to, be, you know, to function in ministry. We want them to know what the lines are on the court of ministry, you know, what's out of bounds, what's not, and, and we, we gotta fight for our unity. We have unity in Christ. Notice verse three says, we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So God gives this unity when we come to Christ. So we have it, we have to work hard to keep what God has given us. 
We have to work very hard to keep what God has given us. Now, we're not talking about some crazy, unbiblical, ecumenical unity where you know all the world's religions come together and all paths lead to heaven and so let's just buy the world of Coke and sing in perfect harmony. We're not talking about that. Our unity is found in the person of Christ and his finished work alone. And God's made us one in Christ, but now we have that responsibility to live that out. Okay, so we're gonna have to fight to keep the unity that we have in Christ, why? Because it's always under attack. Get it down, our unity in Christ is always under, under attack because this is why the Bible tells us we have to endeavor to keep it. God's made us one in Christ, now we have a responsibility to live it. We have to fight to keep that unity in Christ because always between your flesh, the lost world and its many devils, uh, something is going after our unity in Christ. So our, our work is cut out for us, but it's all doable. We have the capacity because of verse two. God's wired us, he's built us for this. We have the ability because we have Christ. Um, in Christ we're family, so we have to act like it. This is one of the things that I've mentioned from time to time, and I'll just say this very quickly. You know, a lot of times the attitude in a, in a, in a study church, in a in a church that's serious about the word of God and good doctrine, um, you know, we have to keep it unity. Well, you know, maybe it's not spoken, but it might be in some hearts. Um, I think it goes something like this. What about all, the, all those lesser Christians that don't believe the Bible like we do here at MBT? Man, God deliver us from that mentality. You have a little truth. Man, God gave you that truth. We're all beggars, we're all debtors. You got an insight into scripture, that shouldn't make you despise somebody that doesn't have it. It ought to break your heart for people that they'd be able to have the word of God rightly divided for themselves. It shouldn't, it shouldn't cause you to, to despise anyone. If you got some truth, you ought to be excited about that truth, not the fact that somebody else doesn't have it. And the fact that somebody else doesn't have it ought to humble you and you ought to, our approach to brothers and sisters in Christ is, hey, can I share with you something that's changed my life? I mean, this blew my mind. I mean, I, I was just walking clueless until my discipler showed this to me, and it changed everything. See, I mean, whenever we get God's truth, that ought to break our heart, and it ought to humble us for any that doesn't have the information that God was generous to give you. Don't ever come to the place where you despise a brother or sister in Christ because they're missing something in the Bible. Man, that was you yesterday. Get a heart for God's people. And I'm not talking about you laying down on what you know to be true in God's word. Jude verse three tells you to earnestly contend for the faith which was one delivered, once delivered unto the saints. That word contend means to strive, to fight, right? We're to earnestly fight, contend for the faith. Why? Keep reading, verse four describes men who are working to promote lasciviousness in the name of God's grace. Uh, there was a video that made the news and it was obviously a, a Catholic or an Episcopal church of some sort, probably from back east, and, and uh, they, were, they were cheering about a queen that had come to visit their church, and the church is full of people cheering, and here comes a dude, looks like a lady, uh, just prancing and bragging. They were celebrating um, this transvestite, this crossdresser, in church, okay. Jude 4, it's right there in your notes. Somebody crept in unawares, 
turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And the only way that that can happen is denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not talking about contentiousness or quarreling with God's people, no. This is low, meek, long-suffering, forbearing with the goal of seeing Christ glorified in his church. One of the reasons there's so much doctrinal craziness in denominations is because brothers and sisters won't actually contend for the faith. They won't sit down and open the book together to find out what it says. And so people just go on in error because God's people let them get away with it. So you wanna get over yourself, your rights, and you wanna be like Christ. You wanna lay down your life for God's people. So I wanna challenge you with this and then we'll close. Uh, Set the example in this for MBT. You ought to decide right now in the quietness of your heart that you're going to set the example for this principle for this local church. You're going to own it personally. Um, When you make a mistake, own it, right? Uh, Brother, sister, I got cross with you. I I was rude to you. I was upset. I was mad at you about something. And that was so petty. That was wrong. Forgive me. That wasn't right. You know, when you own your mistakes and your issues, what that does is it makes a way, it makes a path for other people to do the same. Whenever I can come to Pastor Morgan and I can say, man, Kenny, man, I, I, I was just being mean to you. That wasn't right. You know, I was, I was mad about this, that, the other, and I was upset. I was in the flesh, and, and uh, I, I, man, I just, I just got stupid. That wasn't right. That wasn't, Christ, that wasn't Christ-like. Man, brother, forgive me. What does that do? I mean, I've completely owned it and that gives permission for Kenny to own his mess and for him to follow in my footsteps, right? Well, it's the same for every relationship. Anytime you blow it in a relationship, because you're gonna welcome to the club, we're all gonna do that. Man, if, that, if we could just, by God's grace, just own that, set the example for this. I, I need you in my life, man. I can't let this issue come between us, right? I can't let this issue rupture our relationship I'll take a thousand wrongs to keep you in my life, right? (laughs) And if the people that God's put in our life see that, they know that, man, they'll follow in your footsteps and they'll do the same. Brothers and sisters, don't throw anyone away, ever. They're worth everything. Mark 8, 36 gives this example. Christ says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And he's talking about people just giving up any prospect of a life with him to go get what they can from the world well, if you got the whole world and you don't, you don't have eternity, what was, it wasn't worth it. But don't miss the value equation there. One soul's worth more than anything this planet can offer in exchange. Don't throw anybody away because they're worth everything. Jesus thought so. That's why he gave everything to buy you back from your sin and rebellion. He took the wrong. He owned it all. And he took all of God's wrath over it at Calvary. Father, I pray your blessing on my brothers and sisters and I ask that Lord for each and every one of us, God, would you work in our heart that we would be the examples of this church of getting low, being meek, suffering long, forbearing and forgiving. Uh, Lord, help us to strive to contend for the faith but also uh, to be careful to hang on to the relationships that you put in our life. God. Let this city know that we're your disciples by our love one for another. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.